Well, it's great to see you this morning. It feels warm in here, or is it just me? Got a, okay, it is warm. I'm having a hot flush. This, is there something I can turn off for us? I sound a bit echoey up here. You all right back there? Is there anything I can do from the stage that can help you? You're okay, fine. As long as it sounds okay for you, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, Great. So, yeah, thank you to Bob. Bob works uh, one day a week for us, looks after the buildings that we've got. And uh, the reason it's nice and warm in here is because we put our heads together, and James had commented the other week, he said, the heating's not working very well. And Bob and I had a chat, and we thought, oh, I know what it is. We, we realized what it was, and the vents need, need hoovering off every now and then. The aircon company hadn't been for a little while, and uh, so we've got it all sorted, and it's nice and toasty again. That, plus the fact it's about 15 degrees warmer than it was outside at the time. So those two things put together probably help us a little bit. Um, but thank you, Bob, for looking after. A round of applause for Bob, for looking after the building. <laughs> week, after, week after week after week, he's in and uh, making sure that everything's tip-top and working. So thank you, uh, Bob, for that. We've come to the last of our series on Limitless. And uh, we've been looking through the book of Colossians. And I've just been stirred this morning as we've been worshipping that actually there's something prophetic about this title that we haven't yet tapped into. Uh, Because I believe that God wants to say to us that he wants to actually break off the limits that we've put on ourselves and to break off the limits that we've put on the church and to break off the limits of our expectations. That actually he's, he's wanting to us to see how limitless he is and how limitless his kingdom is and how limitless his purposes are but there are times at which in, and there are times in our history and there are times in our presence that we've said God it's okay we'll lower our expectations because we've been hurt or people have upset us or things have happened and we, we go okay it's alright Lord I'll just you don't need to do anything different we'll just lower our expectations uh, maybe we've tried something and it didn't work and we've, we've come back and we've gone, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll just lower my expectations. Why? Because that saves me from getting hurt. It protects me. And it, and it just means that it's okay because I'm not expecting much and God won't deliver much. And, but we live a small life then. And I believe God's called us to, to live a big life, an expansive life. I believe that actually God's call on this church is to be part of his bride that he's coming back for with a passion. Actually, that's not just about us us looking after ourselves. There's a calling on us as a church community. It's a calling to be expansive. It's, I nearly fell off then. It's a calling to stretch. It's a calling to, to go into places that we've never gone before. It's a calling to trust God and give as we've never given before and trust as we've never trusted before. And I believe there's, pa- there's prophetic power in this statement, limitless, that's saying, guys, it's time to trust me again. It's time to stretch again. It's time to trust God for something new again. Are you with me in that? Yeah? God wants to speak a word into your heart today that he's bigger than you think he is, that he's more powerful than you thought he was, that more is possible than you ever dreamed possible. Together somehow, maybe through prayer, maybe through the Word of God, maybe through encouraging another, one another, we've got to break through the limitations that put boundaries around us and say, this is what you expect. You come to church, the, coffee, the cafe downstairs will be open. You get a good welcome. 
We'll sing some songs. There'll be good songs. You'll be able to be encouraged. Somebody will pray and somebody will preach a bit. And then we'll have another cup of coffee or a cup of tea and we'll chat for a bit and we'll go home. That's fine, but we've got to break off that being our expectation. There's more. God wants more for us. He wants more for you. He wants more for me in our lives. I'm, this isn't even my ser- this isn't even my sermon. But God's stirring. He wants more for us. So grab hold of it. I'm going to have to preach in a minute. But grab hold of it, please. What God wants to do in your life. I'm not going to leave the message and carry on because God's given me this message to share and that's part of what we're doing today. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here today. I was a bit concerned that you'd all be running the half marathon. I really was. Um, thought, you know, it's just going to be me and Judith because I knew he hadn't signed up to it. Um, but you're here. Um, so bless you. We're going to hear from God's word. And, and I trust that this is part of that expanding process that we say, God, we don't want to settle for less than you've got for us. Um, yeah, half marathon. We're going to read a passage from Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 2 down to verse 18. And this is going to finish off the letter for us. It says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians 4, verse 2 onwards. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. You all need someone who encourages your heart. You probably know who that person is. Thank God for them today. Uh, He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Just checking, I've not got, I've gone over the page. There we go. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea uh, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Devotion is what we're talking about today. Limitless devotion. That's my topic for today. I mentioned the half marathon. I, I'm not a runner. I guess, though, to be a runner, you take, it takes dedication and devotion. Um, this chap here is a man called uh, Scott Cuncliffe. He's a Burnley football fan. He supports the Burnley football team. 
he uh, suffers with post-traumatic stress disorder and to, uh, I think, to, to help himself but also to raise awareness, he's decided to run to every away football match this year that his team plays. So when they're at home at Burnley, he goes to Burnley and watches them. When they're away, he runs to the game. Um, that's a long way from Burnley. Burnley's up north. If you've, I know we're down south, okay? So some of you. Um, so we've got Geography of Britain, Tunbridge Wells, Tunbridge, and the north, all right? Okay, so it, it's, it's up there. It's right up there, Burnley. Uh, and uh, some of you will know it's a long way. So it's about 270 miles to Brighton, which was one of the most recent matches his team played. But he had a bit of a rough December because uh, Burnley were playing Crystal Palace, Tottenham, and Arsenal. And uh, I guess that meant running down and back up again and running down and back. That's, that's rubbish. And then you've got to watch Burnley play. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but people are devoted and they're absolutely devoted. And, and we know as Christians, when we're talking about limitless devotion, I, I want to be passionate today and, and preach the word of God passionately and truthfully today. And, but, but just hear me before I start. Um, we're not, I'm not proclaiming today that we're devoted so that God loves us. He already loves us. He's already passionately committed to us. We're already his. If we've said yes to Jesus and we've started the journey of walking with him and saying, I want to follow you, we're already his. Our devotion doesn't get us to that place. But God loves devoted people. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is having his feet washed by a sobbing woman. And the people around know what kind of life she's lived and they say, shouldn't he know what kind of life she's lived? And Jesus highlights her devotion highlights the fact that she's sobbing and she's broken and it's because she knows she's been forgiven that she's able to devote herself to Jesus. That's what Jesus is looking for today. People who are devoted to him, not to try and earn God's favor. The gospel, I heard this week, a great quote, the gospel is not about a good, sorry, the gospel is not about good people loving God. It's about how much bad people are loved by God. That's what the gospel is. It's not about how much good people love God. It's about how much bad people are loved by God. Devotion. The, what I'm looking for today in, in my heart is that the undevoted might become devoted when they're loved by God and they're known they're loved. And this passage at the end of Colossians is one where we've read about Paul's uh, prayer for the Colossians. We've read about how amazing Jesus is. We've read about his work for the church. We've read about how we can be full and have life. We've read about freedom. Uh, we've read about the word of God. We've read about love. And now we get to this passage at the end, devotion. Paul writes this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And you'll wonder when, when I say a few things, that if I've primed a couple of people today to say what, they've had, what they have, and I haven't. I haven't told anybody what I'm preaching on today, so those of you that have already contributed and, and said things that I'm going to pick up on, thank you. Um, that wasn't planned. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being devoted to prayer. Now, surveys tell us that most people pray. Most people. If you do a survey of people up and down the street, most people pray. Not regularly, not often necessarily, not systematically, sometimes randomly, sometimes instinctively, sometimes when there's a crisis, but people pray. People say all sorts of things to God. <coughs> Here, Paul's saying, be devoted to prayer. We know that prayer is powerful. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We know that Jesus showed us how important prayer was. He 
woke up very early in the morning while it was still dark, left the house he was in with the disciples, went off to a solitary place, and he prayed, and he did this pattern again and again and again. And the disciples were so caught up in how good Jesus' prayer life was and how powerful it was, they said to him, Jesus, Master, will you teach us? Lord, teach us to pray as John taught the disciples. Teach us to pray. So if we know that prayer is powerful, we know that prayer is transformational, we know that prayer is, is something that Jesus did, we know that prayer is something the disciples asked for, we know the church prayed, we know that when there's revivals, it's always because the church has prayed. Why don't we pray? Being honest. If we know that it's powerful, if we know it changes our lives, if we know it changes situations, if we know actually... If you've, if you've, some of you will not have read these passages, so don't worry if you haven't. But if you have, you'll know it's simple to pray. Because Jesus teaches a simple prayer and he says, don't go on babbling. Some of us will have heard very impressive prayers and will have been put off thinking, well, I can't pray now. But Jesus tells us that those simple prayers are the best kind. That the babbling ones are not the best kind. So just don't, don't babble, but pray simply. So we know prayer is simple. Why don't we pray? I think this little verse has the answer. See, I think prayer is so powerful that we're actually in a spiritual battle every time we come to pray. I think it's incredibly important to pray. It's powerful, it's significant, it's life-changing. And let me put it to you this way. If I wanted to stop people praying, how would I do it? If I set out an agenda to say, right, I, for some reason I'm now opposed to God and I want to, I'm not by the way, but let's imagine I was, I wanted to stop God's people engaging in the most powerful, the most transformative, the most um, significant activity they can be involved in. What could I do? What could I do to stop the church, the army of God praying? I think I could do two things and achieve that. Number one, I would distract people. So that every time they, got, they thought, I ought to pray, they did something else instead. I would distract them or I would disappoint them. Those would be my two things I would do. And I think in that I could stop anybody praying. Because distraction is a simple thing. Distraction is what makes us busy. It interrupts our day. If I wanted to distract a whole load of people, the whole, all of the Christian population, what I would do would make sure that everything, every bit of information you ever wanted, you could have immediately. Anyone you wanted to contact or think about, you could connect with them somehow immediately. If, if, you, had a, if you wanted a bit of entertainment, you could access it immediately. I'd, I'd make sure that somehow, any time you wanted something that came to mind, I could satisfy that desire immediately, wherever you were in the world. And do you know what we do? We carry around devices that provide that for us. Wherever I go in the world, I've got one of these. Usually, and it provides instant distraction. Have you ever noticed and it's amazing how distracted we are when we've got gadgets around. Um, Judith and I went for a coffee yesterday. And uh, during this coffee time, Judith wanted to go and get a napkin. So she left the table where we were sitting. She got up to go for a napkin. Now, probably she was going to be away from the table for about 15 seconds. You know what I did? I reached for my phone. I hadn't had it out up until then. We, we'd good. We talked to each other occasionally you see some couple there's another couple at another table one had a book and one had a kindle 
No conversation. I prefer that to, to phones, but there we go. But I, I reached for my phone, and it's only because I was preaching today and I knew what I was going to say that I didn't get, get my phone out. Because I thought, I'm going to have to tell everybody else how bad this is, so I'm not going to. But it just dawned on me that I've become addicted to this constant stream of distraction. 15 seconds. I couldn't just sit there for 15 seconds and do nothing or pray or observe my circumstances or look at the person over there and pray for them. I couldn't just sit and be. I had to be distracted. We're chronically distracted. It may not be your gadget for you. It might be that you've got a sports channel at home and you have to watch it because you've paid for it and it's available. It'd be wrong not to. Or an episode, a series you're watching and you couldn't miss an episode, could you? Do you know? We find ways of distracting ourselves. And yet when we get together, we do this, have this little conversation almost it's not every conversation I have, but lots of them are. People say, either how are you, or increasingly, have you had a busy week? Or are you busy? Or is life busy at the moment? And you're like, what are we trying to say to each other? We're reinforcing this sense that actually we're really busy, we're under pressure, there's a lot to do. And some of it is because there is a lot to do. If you've got young kids, you know there's a lot to do. If your job is intense and pressurizing, you know there's a lot to do, but most of us have some margin. We have some time around the edges that's ours. But we find ways of filling it with stuff, don't we? Now, it may be that you're thinking, well, Stuart, I don't watch sport and I don't particularly have a fancy phone, so this is irrelevant. I think it's relevant in every generation because each generation finds different ways of distracting themselves from the call of God. Each generation has a new challenge to find, to find ways of fighting the distraction that we face. Secondly, I would disappoint people. The reason I've got this first up is because be watchful. We need to be aware of the distractions we face. We've got to be aware of the distractions. Secondly, what I'd do is disappoint people. And we've got be thankful up here on the screen. If I wanted to stop people praying, I would make them disappointed with themselves or with God or with prayer. I'd make people focus on the transaction that's going on. The transaction where, where it's not about me being in God's presence, it's about what I'm going to get from God. Or I'd make them focus on the process, not his presence. Or I'd make us focus on the experience I'm getting right now, not on worshipping the king, but on what song we're singing, whether I like it or not. And I'd make us focus on the experience, not on the one we're worshipping. Or I'd make people compare their lives with others. You know, those other people whose prayers do get answered when yours don't. Well, that's how it feels. And I'd let disappointment be a seed that gets sown in your heart. That's what I'd do if I wanted to stop people praying. And Paul writes here and he says, be watchful and be thankful. There's a battle going on every time you come to pray. We've got to be watchful because I know in my own life, I sit down to pray and it's at that moment my mind fills with my to-do list. Things I hadn't thought of suddenly pop into my mind. I think, oh, I've just got to. And it's so easy to get up and go and do those things. And you discover, if you're like me, that that just creates another job to do and another one to do. And, oh, I was going to pray, wasn't I? So we've got to be watchful and aware of these distractions that come. We've also got to be thankful. Thankfulness is a choice. What I would do if I wanted people to be disappointed, I might tell them that it's okay to be honest with God and to shout at him and rant at him but I wouldn't tell them what to do next. And some of you have been told it's okay to shout at God, tell him how you feel and rant at him, but no one's told you what to do next. 
There are some psalms in the Bible where David and others rant at God and they tell him how they're feeling. And, and they, they talk with, with raw emotion and it's okay to be raw with God. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to say, God, this doesn't feel fair. Where are you? But it's not okay to stay there. Those Psalms, if you read them, you'll notice that they finish with thankfulness. You find thankfulness in them. You find praise in them. You find a command saying, awaken my soul. Come on, sing. Why? Because it's not okay to stay in ranting and moaning at God. It's all right to be honest and to express how you feel, but how you feel isn't the whole picture. Thankfulness is, it brings you back to the whole picture. Thankfulness, even in pain, brings you back to this place of saying, God, you're above and you're beyond and you're all in all. And we remember that Paul's writing from prison as we say this. So, if you've got out of, the, of a pattern of praying, if, you, if actually you don't feel devoted to prayer and you want to start again because you've heard my words today, you want to be part of God's army that's limitless, that's breaking down walls, breaking down barriers, and we're saying, come on, we've got to do this, and we know we need to pray, then let's get to prayer. It will feel weird for the first few days, I promise you. If you've been out of a pattern or, or you've not prayed a lot, it will feel weird because you'll, you, you'll think of everything else you should be doing, but be watchful. And you'll start thinking about the times when God hasn't answered or you might be disappointed, but be thankful. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. It is the breakthrough. Paul goes on and asks these people that they would pray for him that he might be able to proclaim the message, the mystery of Christ, even while he's in chains. And that opens the door for what comes next. Be devoted to life on mission. We read these couple of things in these, these couple of verses. Um, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. There's a progression in these verses. It starts on purpose with be wise in the way you act towards people. Be wise. He's writing to those who are part of the church who have an awareness that that they're living amongst people who aren't part of God's folk, not part of God's family yet. Uh, and so he's saying, look, be wise. When you're with those who aren't yet following Jesus, be wise amongst them. Be aware that, that your actions have a consequence, that the way you live carries weight and meaning. It matters that, that actually it's significantly important how you live amongst those who aren't yet Christians. So be wise. Make the most of every opportunity now we might be saying well I don't have any opportunities and, and you might be right you don't have many but Paul's writing from prison and he's just prayed for more how many of you know you don't get too many opportunities in prison probably in, in Paul's day you might get a few more now and actually God's moving powerfully in prison and many hundreds of uh, inmates coming to know the Lord across the country but make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. That's interesting, isn't it? Gracious conversation. I wonder how gracious we are in conversation. I hope we're very gracious. And Paul goes on to write about a conversation being seasoned with salt. And, and that's this sense of actually, salt's not just a preservative, which it is. It's this sense of bringing out the best it's about making more attractive. The New Living talks about it being more attractive. 
And there is this sense that when you, when you taste something and it's not adequately seasoned, it doesn't taste as good as it should. And I think that's the meaning that Paul's getting onto here. So that actually that we're, we're living in a way that's aware of people outside. We're living in a way where our conversation's good. We're living in a way where we're full of grace, seasoned with salt. And then we get to the kicker. It says this, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My question is this, who is it around us who's asking us questions about how we're living our lives and our faith? And you might think, no one's asking. No one's asking me anything. I'm having to go and tell them because no one's asking me much. Well, let me just recap. I think there's a progression here. I think Paul's saying, be wi- number one, be wise in the way you act. Be aware that you are the people of God in, in a world that... Many people don't know God yet. So be aware of the opportunity you have, the mission you carry, what you're part of. Take off the limits of, I go to work, I come home, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I go back to work, I come home again. And that stuff that we do, I go to a prayer meeting and I come home again and I'm being a good Christian, that's great. We should do those things. But let's deconstruct that, take the limits off and say, maybe I'm a child of God, called and commissioned to live my life on this planet to make a difference in this generation. Maybe I'm called. Maybe I'm appointed. Maybe the reason I need to devote myself to prayer is actually because I'm a person set apart amongst a group of others who are set apart to make a difference. That the world can be different in our generation. That we don't just need to play the game and die and wait or wait for Jesus to come back. But actually... We can take the limits off and say, God, you could do it now. You could make people's lives different now. You can change people's lives now. And that's why we need to be wise in the way we act towards unbelievers, towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. As we do that, as we're aware of our calling, as we're aware of the need, then we'll make the opportunities. We'll be gracious and kind and generous in our conversation. And then maybe people will be asking us questions as to how we live our lives. And why we're living them the way they do, we are. The call to live a provocative life. So, number one, devote to, devoted to prayer. Number two, devoted to life on mission. Number three, devoted to people. Now, I, I don't want to go on this list for too long because this was most of the bit that we read. It was a long reading. But I've just got to pulled out the names for you. Tychicus. Or Tychicus or however you want to pronounce it, will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul, in some of his letters, ends up the last bit writing greetings and saying, here's some people that are coming, here's some people, or here's some people to say thank you to. If he's not been to the church, he'll write with greetings like he does in Rome. If he's been there, or if he's, if he's sending people, he'll, he'll write with a little commendation. He's doing that here. Uh, Tychicus will send will tell you all the infant news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. Paul's sending him, uh, just as he sent him to Ephesus and sent him to Crete, he's sending him to the Colossians at this point. High praise, a faithful minister, it's the word uh, deacon. Faithful servant or fellow servant is the word slave. It's a sundulos, he's a, kind of, a slave with me in serving the Lord. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings. He's another one that gets five mentions in the New Testament. Travels with Paul. He's mentioned as a fellow worker, a co-worker. But Paul picks up on some others too. Epaphras, 
who's one of you, he says, and a, and a servant of Jesus Christ. If you ever want to know how to pray for other people, this is a great guy to follow. Look what it says. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I would love Epaphras is praying for me. And I know I've got some, so thank you to those who do pray. But pray for one another like this, like Epaphras does. Uh, Paul also goes on to mention Luke, the, the doctor. Uh, we know of Dr. Luke. He wrote Luke and Acts. Um, he sends greetings and the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So we've got a list of influential people who are significant. And he's just sending his greetings, saying, greet these people. But he pulls out, I want to pull out three people particularly. And who highlight this sense of being devoted to people. Number one, Onesimus. Colossians 4 verse 9. He is coming. I think that's Tychicus is coming. Or Tychicus is coming with Onesimus. Our faithful and dear brother who's one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. Now on its own that means little. It's just some bloke who's going with another bloke who's going to give pass a message on. But if you read a little bit called Philemon very short book in the New Testament, you'll realize that this guy Onesimus actually has been a slave and still is a slave and he's run away from his master and he's liable therefore to punishment, possibly death, but he's certainly in trouble and he's run away from where he should be with his master Philemon and he's run to Col Colossae, sorry no he's come from Colossae and he's run to Paul, wherever Paul's writing from and, and he's become a Christian. And Paul's writing back when he writes Philemon to Philemon to say, I'm sending you back Onesimus who, who ran away from you and was useless, but I'm sending him back useful because he's become a dear brother. And he's writing here about this slave, our faithful and dear brother who's one of you. Part of being limitless is we deconstruct the walls we put up between us and other people. The boundaries, we say, these are, these are my kind of people and those are not my kind of people and we put boundaries up. And my encouragement to us today as a church congregation with many different people represented here, different types of people, would be to say, let's pull the walls down. Let's stop pretending we're, we're, we like a certain type of person or we don't. God's called us to reach the whole world. He's called us to reach the whole of this community. Don't, I've, had, I've kind of carried things in my heart against certain types of people that I've thought, well, I, I won't fit in in their world. And maybe you do the same. And it depends on the bit of the social scale you think you are. Maybe at certain estates you think, I wouldn't want to go there, it's a bit rough. But God loves those people and he's called them. Maybe it's the gated communities and you think, well, I wouldn't fit in there. I have to hide the rust on my car. You know, I wouldn't fit into that environment. I haven't got someone driving me there. Sir, madam, out you get. You know, I haven't got, I'm not, not my world. But God loves those people and he's called us to reach them. And so we've got to break down these barriers that we find ourselves in. Onesimus, a slave, this is revolutionary. As Paul sends him back and says, This dear and faithful brother, he would have had no rights, but Paul's sending him back saying to Philemon, treat him as a brother, not as a possession, but as part of your family. Mark's another one. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, a cousin of Barnabas. And this is a lovely little mention. The first time we read of Mark, uh, his mum is hosting a prayer meeting in her home. She's obviously an influential woman in, in that time. And she's hosting a prayer meeting at a time when Peter has been put in prison. And an angel comes and gets Peter out of prison. It's Acts chapter 15. And, no, sorry, that's a bit later on. It's, Acts, it's earlier on in Acts. And, and an angel comes and gets Peter out of prison. And, 
And he goes straight for Mark's mum's house. And you read that and you think, why would he go to Mark's mum's house? The angel didn't tell him to go there, as far as I remember. But he's going there because it's the most obvious place to go. It's the place where the church would be meeting, where the church would be gathering and they'd be praying. And he turns up at a prayer meeting in Mark's mum's house. And he goes to knock on the door and they think that it's not really Peter, but it's his his angel or his spirit or something, and they run back in and leave him outside. And this whole story all happens at Mark's mum's house. And Mark goes to become uh, one of these fellow workers with Paul and Barnabas on a mission. And he goes off on mission. And we read in Acts chapter 15 that it all goes horribly wrong. And for some reason, he abandons Paul and Barnabas in a place called Pamphylia. And Paul and Barnabas have a bit of a fight about this. These two early Christian leaders, Barnabas wants to take Mark with him. Paul says, no, he's let me down once. He's a, he's a bit of a loose cannon. I can't trust him. I'm not taking him. And the two of them don't come to blows, but they come to forceful words. A sharp disagreement, Acts 15 tells us. Paul goes one way. Barnabas goes another. And you think, oh, no, they've disagreed. We all need to get on. We all need to agree on everything. No, we don't. This passage shows us that passage shows us that we don't need to agree, but we do need to be careful of what happens in our hearts. And this shows me something incredible about Paul. The guy who's writing this. Paul was a bit of a character. Strong-willed, determined, forceful, but it shows me that he didn't harbor resentment in his heart. That actually he opened his heart back up to this guy called Mark and welcomed him back, even though he'd let him down. He's now been with him and he's saying, Mark sends you greetings. He's with him at the time. He's joined back together with Mark again. And there's this sense that they're together. They're supporting one another. Elsewhere, Paul writes that um, Mark might come to him. To Timothy, he writes, bring him. He's helpful to me in my ministry. In Philemon, he describes Mark as a fellow worker. Peter refers to him as my son. There's this sense that he's been restored. Paul's love for people, his devotion to people is bigger than just measuring whether they've let him down or not. One final one. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. This is one that goes the other way. I'd love to to just say each one of these folk uh, got more and more in relationship and and they all lived happily ever after. We don't know what happened to Demas other than, like Mark, later on, he lets Paul down and he abandons him and he leaves him. I wish I could tell you that loving people, being devoted to people, came without a cost that actually you love them and it's all one happy family and everyone gets on and that's not how it works because people let you down and there's disagreements and, it's, and it hurts and it's raw and, and this passage shows us as Paul's sending his greetings that some of those he's fallen out with they're restored again and it's okay because God's been at work in their hearts and there's love for one another devotion to each other goes beyond what's happened and what's been done between each other and they're committed to each other and God's restored but it also shows us that you risk being let down again when you trust people and I'm inviting us to risk today I'm inviting us to risk praying I'm inviting us to risk being devoted to people. I'm inviting us to risk living a life on mission that we might see God's kingdom come. How do we finish? How do I wrap up? Well, Paul finishes the whole letter like this. Tell Archippus, or if you're northern, Archippus. Um, It sounds like he owns a fish and chip shop, doesn't he? Um, See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord 
I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. My word as I close today is Paul's words to Archippus. See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. The calling God has placed on your life as part of this congregation. The calling God has placed on our lives as a church, as part of his work in the town. The calling God's called us to do as part of this town, as part of his broader work in the world, is enormous. It's absolutely huge. And Paul is saying to Archippus today what I believe God would say today to us. Don't be limited. Don't put up boundaries. Don't say, God, you can only do this much, but let's take it down and let's see that we complete the ministry we've received in the Lord. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require mission. It's going to require devotion to people. All of that's possible because God first loved us. I would love us to pray. Um, I'd love us to pray. Because I think somehow we need to respond. And you're not responding to me. That would be a terrible thing to do. Please don't do that. But if in the midst of what I've said today, you've just understood again that maybe you've been distracted or disappointed and you've sensed again God's call to pray or you've sensed a renewed call to pray or you've sensed a renewed call to mission or a renewed call to be devoted to people and actually you want to do it, taking the boundaries down, the limits down and you're saying, God, we're in this. Somehow today you've convicted my heart that I've got to see things differently and I've got to respond. Um, I'd love you to stand. Um, I'm, I'm going to stay on the stage, but I'm standing myself. Um, but I'd love you to stand because we want to respond to what God's stirring. Please don't stand if you're not feeling stirred today to do so. This is not a one stands and everybody else needs to. I, I want to just pray for those who particularly are sensing a call today to respond. Thank you. God. God, many are standing in this place today because we're aware we need you. And we're aware that there's so many things that come into our lives. Disappointments and distractions and concerns and worries and we're, we're just aware of all those so often. And Lord, we get stuck into patterns of life that I think we miss sometimes the bigger picture of what you're wanting to do. God, I pray that you would take down those limits in our thinking. You'd take down those boundaries we've put up and we've said, this is what I should expect and I'm getting nothing else. God, I pray that you'd blow our minds. You'd blow our thinking wide open. You'd show us what it means to be a people called on mission, called aligned to your purpose. God, I pray that you would help us be devoted to prayer, devoted to mission, devoted to people that we wouldn't get so small and inward-looking not necessarily because we're selfish, but just because our focus is inward, that we miss what you're wanting us to do. God, I thank you that you've called us to be part of your people around the world. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and we can love others. And I pray for forgiveness to be a, a, a kind of a watchword, a hallmark of our hearts, that if anybody has hurt us, we're able to forgive quickly. 
Lord, if anyone feels different to us, we're able to go and minister to them graciously and generously. Lord, that we would be kind and generous and loving and gracious and bold. Help us, Lord. Engage us again, we pray, that we might see your kingdom come in this generation. Amen.